Often from fundraisers that they want to add new donors, and we also hear from some of our neighbors that they're never asked to donate. We can close that gap in a win-win proposition for nonprofits and donors. Hi, I'm Bill Stanjakevich. This is the first day from the fundraising school, and I'm joined today by Matt Treadwell. Matt is a gift planning attorney for the Indiana University Foundation. He's also helped us raise money through the Mays Family Institute on diversity and philanthropy, which provided important guidance in our work uh, with that new institute. Matt, thanks again for being back with us on this podcast. It's a pleasure. And the Mays Family Institute is helping us think about all these issues related with diversity, fundraising, and philanthropy. First of all, is the fundraising profession still very Caucasian. Our research shows that about 75% of fundraisers are Caucasian women, so we need to continue to diversify in all sorts of ways in the fundraising profession. But Matt, also amongst our donors, the Mays Family Institute's research has found that people of color say that they are asked less than their white neighbors. Why is that? And how do we fix that? How do we close that gap? Um, well, so that's a very complex question. Yeah. One way of thinking about this is that we don't need to ask them any differently. Mm -hmm. Yes, there's research, as uh, Dr. Tyrone Freeman has spoken on, that diverse giving uh, tends to look differently. Um, it's a lot of religious-based giving mm -hmm. within the church and whatnot. And then there's other ways that diverse communities will give back to their communities. But when you're talking about your organization and how you would fundraise from them, don't ask them any different. Ask them for the gift that you think that they'd be right for. Maybe that, and a lot of that would then be, how are we researching them? You have to remember that in this country, there's been a long history of wealth not being able to be accumulated by mm -hmm. some of those mm -hmm. communities. So a lot of our usual wealth metrics might not pick up on what they have now. It might look a lot different. And another thing to think about is some of the more Affluent people in diverse communities tend to give to a lot of organizations, maybe a little bit less. Um, there's a very prominent person from our community, Mr. Bill Mays, who mm -hmm. the Mays Family Institute is named after. He was known for giving a lot to, but it was smaller amounts to a lot of different organizations. Um, so it's just thinking about how to, how that giving might look, but why, why would you ask different? You wouldn't change the way you're asking someone based on if they're male or female, right? So ask them the same. Ask them for how much you think that they can give, but make sure that it's researched correctly and that the amount is something that they can actually do. And as we look to build bridges and find folks who can donate uh, through all sorts of walks of life, how important is the board of directors? How important is diversity in the board of directors to help us maybe uh, enter communities that maybe we mm -hmm. don't normally typically go into to cross those lines of distinction and meet even more people who care about our mission? What role can the board play in that regard? The board can play the role the board normally would play. You use your board to either fundraise directly from them, they're a giving board, or they help you find people. If, you're, if your board's diverse, then they can help you with those circles that they are in and the diverse people that are in those roles. But something else you might find is that they want different things, not just within their board of directors, but in the way the organization is set up. There's one person that's a very um, beneficial, a very um, well-known donor, mm -hmm. and he's been on a lot of boards for IU Foundation, and he, 
one of the things he focuses on is what does our accounting firm look like? What does the law firm that we're using uh, look like? What are the people on those teams? Is it a very Caucasian team that mm -hmm. is doing all of our all of our legal work? Is it a very Caucasian team that is doing all of our auditing? Why are we not making those changes throughout the entire organization that would just make us more diverse as well? And then how does that translate to what we're actually doing when we're doing all of the other things we do. And part of this, I know you mentioned Dr. Freeman and his research, Dr. Osley, Dr. Williams Pulfer, folks who are doing research for the Mays Family Institute on diversity and philanthropy, also can talk about perception that mm -hmm. unfortunately, there can be perception amongst our Caucasian fundraisers that people of color are receivers and not givers. And mm -hmm. this is also a hurdle that we still need to overcome. That is very true. But if you look at some of the, the companies that are that exist, there's it's very obvious that there are a lot of diversity in ownership, especially in Indianapolis. There's a lot of different um, organizations, and so they're not receivers. And if you think about the fact that they're starting their own companies, they're running companies, they're perfect uh, candidates to yeah. be donors. Yeah, and we need to have that mindset. We need to reach out. Matt, I know in my own career, uh, I had a chance uh, through Bill Mays' niece, Caroline, and mm -hmm. her husband, Fred, uh, to get to meet folks uh, that brought diversity to our organization. Folks like Sam Odell and Willis Bright, Tim Harris and others, uh, Amos Brown, folks who said, hey, reach out through the, the media that our African-American community mm -hmm. tunes into and reads. Uh, same thing with our Hispanic community, the Hispanic newspaper, Hispanic affiliation organizations, fraternities and sororities, mm -hmm. uh, where folks uh, tend to participate uh, based on their demographics. Uh, it, it takes a lot of intentionality uh, to be able to cross those lines of difference if it's something we're not comfortable with and not to say that it's been intentional to ignore those populations it just could be ignorance it could be a lack of comfort mm -hmm. uh, again what advice do you have for fundraisers to really be purposeful to start building those relationships across lines of distinction well, one of the things like you mentioned is going to those diverse media resources um, if you aren't being able to tap into anything that they're doing, then one, how are you gonna get them engaged with the organization? Because if you can get them engaged with the organization, that's the best way to make them a donor, right? If they know nothing about you or if all they know about you is they don't talk to our people, they're not gonna give. So you have to find ways to get them engaged and one of those is through the media. One of the things, um, another thing that can help is if there's, within your organization, if it's say a university, is there a black faculty and um, staff council? Here at IU, we have one of those, and it's very organized, but sometimes the funding doesn't get to those programs that they're putting forward because some of our fundraising colleagues don't know about it and aren't involved in some of the things that need to be done there. And if you are hearing some of the issues that the black faculty and staff have, then maybe you can go out and solicit donors for that, and that can help find, oh, well, my normal donor base won't care about this, but these people over here, they might care, and if I use this board member, he can get me set up with people that can get money for this program. What about in the business community? Obviously, we have a Chamber of Commerce, but we also have an African-American Chamber of Commerce. Mm -hmm. There's a Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. What assets can organizations like that be that are kind of defined demographically, racially be, to again, help us form relationships and help us meet new people who have the passion for our organization? Mm -hmm. So you can use those organizations um, the way you would probably use the normal Chamber mm -hmm. of Commerce. Mm -hmm. However you're approaching those people, just make sure that it doesn't come off. I have an ando, and it's, I was at a uh, conference for its manners, minorities and agricultural natural resources 
in related sciences. And there was a leadership um, meeting that was going on just about how to be better leaders within um, our organizations that we we're in. And one of the things that kept coming up is, how do I pick and choose as a minority what organizations I want to be involved with? Because I know a lot of times I'm being asked because I'm the token person. So make sure that when you're approaching these different communities, you're not doing it because, oh, I need someone for my board, I need someone there. Make sure that the reason you're going to them is we're just trying to expand our donor base. We're trying to make sure that our organization is more diverse because that's what our country is and that's what our city is. We want to make it look more like what I see when I look out the window and not just, well, I need to do something. So be intentional, but don't be blatantly doing something that's kind of ill-intentioned. Our guest has been Matt Treadwell. He's the gift planning attorney for the Indiana University Foundation and great wisdom and advice from Matt on how we can add diversity to our donor databases. And we discussed this here in August of 2021 as we celebrate Black Philanthropy Month. And at the Indiana University Lilly Family School Philanthropy, we're looking at diversity and philanthropy all year round, especially through our Mays Family Institute on Diverse Philanthropy. And you can find out more information about the Mays Institute on our website at philanthropy.iupui.edu. Now, if you have forward slash and the fundraising school, that's where you're gonna find out about our public courses, which have been in person in Indianapolis. And as we uh, conclude this current calendar year and move into 2022, we're expanding into more cities with our in-person training. And of course, we're gonna have a strong presence online. We'll continue to have our recorded or so-called asynchronous courses. We'll have virtual synchronous courses uh, to be able to help you with your training and as you move towards our four different certificates. In addition to those public courses, we have custom training. We design fundraising training specifically for you, your nonprofit, your association, your region that we can bring either in person or online, whatever works best for you. We have these weekly podcasts. We have quarterly webinars. Again, our website, philanthropy.iupui.edu forward slash the fundraising school. Thanks again to our guest, Matt Treadwell. Our producers are Jennifer Boffman and Mike Anthony. I'm Bill Stanjakovich, and now you are now more fully informed on this first day from the fundraising school. Thank you.